0: Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, this morning we begin a new series of sermons on the life of Daniel, who I think is one of the most fascinating characters in all of the Old Testament. As Joe said, we encourage everyone to bring a Bible to church with them every Sunday so that you can follow along in the text of the Scripture. Uh, So if you haven't already, please locate in your Bible or on your Bible app the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. And if you're not sure where the book of Daniel is, you can always check the table of contents in the front of your Bible. It's page 737, if you have exactly the same Bible as I do. Uh, But the book of Daniel is our text this morning, and while you hunt for that, the first chapter of Daniel, let me just say that that as Daniel's story opens, the Babylonian army is invading Israel. Life as they knew it had come to a standstill. Everything was about to change for Israel and Judah, and, and not for the better. For over 20 years, the prophet Jeremiah had been pleading. He'd been pleading with the citizens of Judah and the city of Jerusalem to repent of their sins and turn back to God once again. Jeremiah just kept repeating his plea for these folks to repent. And if they refused, he predicted that they would be captured by Babylon and spend 70 years in captivity, and that's exactly what happened. Judah had turned a deaf ear. They refused to obey God. They absolutely refused to listen to the prophets that he had sent. And now, Daniel is writing as a witness to the invasion of the Babylonians. So as we dig a little deeper this morning, the first thing we see in our text, Daniel chapter 1, is the king's plan. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So as I said, as the book of Daniel opens, we've got this a great army of Babylon coming to invade Judah. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. His strategy included the the invasion of Judah and the deportation of some of its key leaders. His plan, which became known simply as the Babylonian exile, was was actually the result of God's judgment upon the nation. Uh, Way back in Leviticus chapter 26... The Lord threatened His people with exile if they didn't uh, live up to the terms of the covenant that He had made with them on Mount Sinai in Deuteronomy chapter 4. So so God had had, had continued to to remind His people of this covenant that they had and, and the consequences of disobedience. And so after a long history of disobedience and rebellion, after a long history of God patiently and graciously reminding his people that they had this agreement. After a long history, the threat was finally carried out in several stages, culminating in the destruction of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple in 586 B.C. You just follow the history of the nation of Israel and you see how this plan worked. So now back to our text in Daniel 1. The king of Babylon comes to Jerusalem which is the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he besieges the city. He captures the city. He takes Jehoiakim, who's the king of that southern kingdom of Judah. He takes a bunch of other talented people, along with the sacred vessels from the temple. And he takes them to his hometown in Babylon. This deportation was obviously part of the king's plan. He's trying to to strengthen his own kingdom. But but notice what the Bible says in verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Say what? It's easy to, you know, when you're just reading the passage, it's kind of easy to breeze over that. This was not fate. This was not some bad accident. This was not just a terrible set of circumstances. Jehoiakim and the rest of of Judah didn't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. God was behind all of this. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This is a key theme that we will see surface again and again in the book of Daniel. It's a theme that, that 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 Daniel will declare and proclaim over and over again that God is sovereign over the course of history, even over the lives of those who rebel against him. God is sovereign. God is in control. Do you believe that? Say to your neighbor, God is in control. Okay, now say it again like you really believe it. God is in control. He is. God is in control. He's, he's the master, sovereign Lord of the universe. So what happens next? Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz. Boy, Joel, aren't you glad I didn't ask you to read this passage? <laughs> the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he is going to take the the best and the brightest out of the land of Judah and, and deport them to Babylon. He takes the best and the brightest to advance his own purposes and his own kingdom. He would take these people and he would re-educate them and he would retrain them and he would would teach them a new language which was not Italian but rather related to to, to Babylon and the land of the Chaldeans. Verse 3 says that some of them were from the royal family and some were from the nobility. So he chose, obviously, the best of the best. He, he pulled the best minds and, and the greatest abilities to make Babylon stronger and greater. That was his plan. And his selection process demanded that they meet very high standards. Like 4.0 grade average, maybe 4.1, I don't know. But just look at verse 4 again. He, he chose men who were without blemish, Now I I don't think that just means their complexion, you know, I think it means their inner character. Of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and competence. That that's a pretty impressive list, isn't it? So he's really he's really focusing on the best and the brightest. So hang on to your kids. Hang on to your kids. Verse 5 goes on to say, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. So those are all Jewish names that have a connection to the God of the Bible. And the chief of eunuchs gave them names. In other words, he changed their names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So, here we read that Daniel and his three buddies were offered the best food and the best wine right off the king's table. And they were also given names that were designed to invoke the favor of the Babylonian gods and to to bury their history and the names that were connected to the God of the Bible. So Nebuchadnezzar is trying extremely hard to assimilate these young exiles into the culture and traditions and mores of this new culture in Babylon. He's trying to assimilate them by obliterating their religious and cultural values. Think about it for a minute. The strategy of the world has not changed much in a couple thousand years. This is exactly what the world is trying to do to us and to our kids and to our grandchildren. the the culture in which we live today works over time to assimilate nominal Christians into their way of thinking people that aren't really you know connected to the to the scriptures people who are who are Christian and they just wanna they want to assimilate us right into the culture by obliterating our religious and moral convictions by getting us to compromise just a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more until we actually fall off the stage. It's... and and if you don't think it it, it is a it is a concentrated uh, calculated effort then you better wake up and smell the coffee. They exert influence so that we buy into the views of the world on abortion and uh, same-sex marriage and the legalization of marijuana. Thank you, Mr. Trudeau. And a host host of other issues. They're, 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 They're determined to assimilate us into the culture. They want to annihilate Christian values. Something happened in Toronto last week that made my... My daughter's blood boil. She 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 lives in Toronto with her husband Dave. And and there was a, a concert. There was an event planned for a Young Dundas Square downtown where they were going to be singing songs about Jesus. And on the basis of the fact that they were going to be using the name of Jesus, they they nixed the concert. And and, and Christians and non Christians alike are, 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 are finally pushing back and saying, Enough is enough. This is discrimination. We're, we're singing about the name of Jesus and you won't let us use a public square? What does our country come to? I mean, just, just, just try that. Just try that if it was a group of, of, of Muslims that wanted to, to, to meet there. And push back on them and you've got trouble. Push back on Christians and, while it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll find another spot and, and we, we, we hump our shoulders and we just say, well, you know, that's the way of the world. I mean, enough is enough. I, there, there's a time where you just have to draw a line and say that this is far enough. We are not going across this line. We are not buying into the world's values. We're not assimilating our lives and our families and our culture into this culture. We, we are citizens of another kingdom. well how did Daniel respond I I better stop preaching and keep teaching (laughs) how did I get in trouble for that (laughs) how how did Daniel respond and what can we learn from him have a look at verse 8 what does it say would you read it out loud with me Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs To allow him not to defile himself. See, Daniel recognized that eating the king's food was a a matter of principle for him. Do you have principles that you won't violate? This was a matter of principle for him. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm hungry, but I don't want any of your rich food from your table. I don't want your expensive wine. Thank you very much. You see, the king's food was not kosher. It was not prepared according to the the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And so Daniel couldn't eat it. It would have violated his principles of conscience. Uh, But more than that, the king's food likely had been offered to the gods of Babylon before it was placed on the table of the king and the wine would have been offered as a sacrifice to the gods of Babylon before it was placed on the table of the king and so Daniel could not eat that food and drink that wine otherwise he would have violated his conscience and everything he stood for Daniel did not want to do anything that would honor the gods of this pagan nation in which he finds himself deported Eating and drinking food, sacrificed idols at this time in history was, was a direct violation to the Word of God. Of course, the easy route would have been just go with the flow. You know? When in Babylon, do what the Babylonians do. You know? What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. Who's gonna know just a little food and a little wine, you know? Who's gonna really who's gonna be bothered by that? But Daniel's objective, from day one, Daniel's objective was obedience to God. He wasn't in this to impress the Babylonians. He wasn't in this to to make a mark on the on the king. Nebuchadnezzar, his primary priority was obedience, no matter what the cost. Not a bad example for us. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took a stand. Even when some of the other Jewish young men from Judah had decided to imbibe on this rich food and this good wine, Daniel said, no, not not us, not us. Notice that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He was determined to follow the God of the Bible. He was absolutely committed to obedience. And I love the King James here. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart. I'll tell you, we we, we get more purposeful about our football teams and our hockey teams than we get purposeful about obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. We get more excited about, about baseball and hockey and football and what's happening on the field than what's happening in the book. But he purposed in his heart. You see, living a life of distinction requires strong character and a determination to do the right thing. And I believe that Daniel is consistently and always pointing toward Jesus Christ, who lived the only perfect life of distinction, who always did everything perfectly right before God the Father. So Daniel is pointing us to Jesus even now. Daniel bound himself by a solemn resolution that he would keep his convictions. And like I said a moment ago, sometimes, somewhere, you just gotta draw the line. And say, that's it. I'm not stepping across this line. I take one more step of compromise and I'm I'm gonna be sliding down that slippery slope so fast and so far that I'll never recover. And see, that's what happens. You start compromising on the little things and the bigger things get easier and easier to compromise on, don't they? Come on, you know it from experience. You compromise on w- one thing or two things, and then next week, number three, four, and five present themselves. You say, well, that's not so bad. Uh, a week later, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, which are bigger than one, two, and three, present themselves. And you say, oh, well, you know, it's 2015. After all, it's 2015. Where did we see that before? It's 2015. It's 2015 as if as if we're supposed to just acquiesce and, and give everything up because it's 2015 are you kidding me sorry i'm getting a little upset here <clears throat> sometimes you just got to draw the line let's not compromise our convictions that are rooted and grounded in scripture or we're going to be in big trouble. We're going to start operating in a fog, and we will, we will lose a sense of what's right and what's wrong. In fact, I think we already have. Ken Wales is an award-winning television and movie producer, but before he started that part of his career, he, he was an actor. And early on, Ken turned down a very significant role in Hollywood in a movie... Uh, because it conflicted with his faith in Christ. At one point in this script that was given to him by MGM, the studio under which he was contracted, he was supposed to play this part in this movie, but as he read the script, he, he, his character was supposed to get this young woman drunk and then take advantage of her sexually, and uh, he said, I, I, I can't do this. Wales described his decision to decline his role like this. He said, I had been speaking to a lot of church groups and conventions around the country on the subject of making right choices. So when I read the script, I had to meet with the director and tell him I just couldn't do it. And he said, you'll do it or you'll be out of work. I'll make sure that you're suspended. I'll make sure that you lose salary. I'll make sure that you don't ever work another day in this town. I told him he'd have to find someone else, and he literally threw me out of his office. (laughs) Well, what happened to Ken Wales? Ken Wales went on to produce award-winning television series and films like *Christie* and East of Eden and the highly acclaimed movie Amazing Grace. So you see, Ken Wales was tested. He was tested and... He took took a a firm stand for Jesus, and God gave him favor. Well, Daniel also took a stand, and in verse 9, God gave him favor. Let's look in the book, still in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Daniel had asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods, right? And then in verse 12, Daniel says to him, "'Look, test your servants for ten days.'" Uh, Let us go for 10 days just eating vegetables and drinking water. And at the end of 10 days, you be the judge. You you see if if it worked or not. And and just look at how God responded to that show of faith. In verses 15 to 20, we see God's deliverance revealed. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, I love that, than, than all the youths who ate the king's food they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh on veggies and water. So the steward took away their food and wine uh, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So the experiment worked. The experiment worked and it showed that God blesses obedience. Amen? Daniel's life stayed firm because he was committed to purity and he was committed to obedience that flowed from the word of God and it gave him a foundation for living in a difficult culture. God's deliverance also led to greater blessing. Look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them and among all of them, suggesting that there was a larger group from which to choose none of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and therefore they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom did you catch that? They were ten times better than all the other advisors he had available to him. Ten times better. These Jewish kosher vegetarians <laughs> that were existing on vegetables and water were ten times better and they, because they refused to be assimilated into this pagan culture. We need we need men and women today to take the same stand and refuse to be assimilated into a pagan culture. In every matter of wisdom and understanding, they were ten times better. I like to be able to say that about myself, but that's far from the truth. Wouldn't it be great? Ten times better. T T B ten times better. I had Wheaties this morning for breakfast. (laughs) But listen, at the end of their training, biblical scholars tell us that Daniel was probably about 20 years of age. At the end of his training. Which means that when he and his buddies came to Babylon, they were about 16 or 17. What? These men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not older men with maturity and wisdom and experience and less hair. They were young men, 16 or 17 years of age, and at at that age Daniel was set apart for service and he lived a life of distinction in a powerful pagan nation And God said, this is my man. And I think this is one of the stories that must be in the back of the Apostle Paul's mind when he writes to his young protege, Timothy, who probably was about the same age. And he says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Folks, when a young man or a young woman in our church decides to go all out for God and refuses to be assimilated into a very tempting culture, God can use that young man or woman mightily, mightily, ...to build his kingdom. He can do it. And, and I thought this morning, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get in there... ...and I'm going to ask, who's under 20? But then I, yeah, oh yeah, Susie, good try, good try. Yeah. Then we get people like Susie sticking their hands up, yeah. I'm convinced that uh, when young men and young women take a stand for Jesus Christ... God by His grace and God by His power infuses that commitment with victory. Do we have young men and young women here this morning who are willing to take that kind of a stand for Jesus Christ? A researcher at Columbia University has found that the average person makes about 70 decisions every day. That... that that amounts to about twenty five thousand five hundred decisions a year and over seventy year lifespan that's about one point seven eight million decisions life is a sum of all your choices when you add up all those one point seven eight million decisions that's who you are that is who you are you're a sum of the choices a sum of the decisions that you make throughout your life. So let me ask you, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to make your life count for more than 40 years in the factory and a fat pension? Have you decided to make your life count for something that will impact the world and make a difference and help other people? If you have, then you need to follow Jesus because he is the only perfect example we have and he is the only one who can infuse your life and your heart with grace and power and strength to do just that invite Jesus to live his life through you and if you do that then the rest of those 1.78 million decisions that you make in your lifetime will be changed by that one decision to put Jesus first Last Sunday I said your relationship with God through Jesus Christ is your life. That's that's life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So your relationship with God through Jesus Christ is your life. It, it touches and alters every aspect of your existence and it redefines your identity. You you cannot live a life of distinction like Daniel did or like Jesus did, without faith in Christ. Your relationship with Jesus infuses your life with new meaning and new purpose, and it reshapes your destiny. It actually takes you to a different place at the end of your life. And so the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf must be the window through which you look at everything else in your life. That's gospel-centered living. That's gospel-centered decision-making. The work of Jesus Christ on your behalf must be the starting point for every decision in your life. Who you date needs to be determined by the principles of Scripture and the grace of God. Who you marry, where you go to school, what career you choose, how you spend your money, where you live, what house you buy, all of your choices Put together will either create a life of distinction or a life of disgrace. So, what's it going to be? You can choose, like Daniel, to love God and obey God and honor God in every decision, or you can choose, like Demas, to love the world and disgrace the name of Jesus. What will it be? Which way will you go? Whom will you follow? Where will you place your faith? Remember, Daniel made this resolution. He made a a pledge, a promise that he would not defile himself. So purpose in your heart today, afresh, to obey the Word of God no matter what. No matter what the cost. No matter what the price. Don't compromise on your values or on Scripture. You say, preacher, you have no idea the group that I, that I work with in the factory, that I have to work with 40 hours. We have no idea what those men and those women talk like, what they live like, what they, how, how they think. Huh? Oh, I know. Because I used to be one of those people. So I know very well what they think and how they talk and how they try to influence you and how they push your buttons, Ed. Push, push, push. They know what buttons to press. I know about that. But I also know about this. And I choose this. I choose a life of distinction. Amen? I choose to go with God. I choose to follow Jesus. And encourage you to do the same. The world says, you know, it's, it's okay now. It's 2015. It's okay to terminate the life of a baby in the womb. Nothing wrong with that. That's not really a human being anyway. The world says, you know... A little porn in, modification, in, 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 in modest proportions can really spice, spice up your, your, your marriage and your, your sex life. So there's, there's really nothing wrong with watching a bit of porn. The world says same-sex marriage is totally acceptable. In fact, it's normalized now. We've got it right in a curriculum in one of our provinces in Canada. So it's okay. It's perfectly acceptable. And it's 2015. And all of those societal pressures are chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away away, at our resolve to live for God. Daniel made a choice, (laughs) and I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking you to make the same choice. Choose today to live a life of distinction. A life that's different from the world around you. A life that's built on biblical faith in a victorious Savior named Jesus. A life that's, that's infused with power and grace that comes from the cross, from Jesus our Lord. I'm asking you to 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 live a life of distinction and, and, and to make a course correction. If a course correction is necessary in your life for you to get back on track, then get back on track. And do it today. I mean, the invitation that Jesus gives you today is wide open. The door is open wide. Wide is the mercy of God. Great is His forgiveness. So, you've been compromising. Okay, I get that. Been there, done that, got the scars to prove it but today's a new day. Today you can say, from now on, I'm living a life of distinction by the grace of God. If God infuses my life with His strength and His power and His grace, I will live for God no matter what. (laughs) Dare to be a Daniel. Purpose in your heart today to trust and obey Jesus first and always. So I wonder if in your heart This declaration makes sense and you can join me in this. Today I'm stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling. I'm finished with wavering. I've made my choice. The verdict is in. My decision is irrevocable. Is it? I'm going God's way. Are you? I'm going to live a life of distinction. Will you? So if you want to join me in the rest of it, let's make this resolution together let's purpose in our hearts together and say there's no turning back now I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people for God's glory I will use my life to celebrate his presence cultivate his character participate in his family demonstrate his love and communicate his word I will seek to bless others more than I seek to be blessed myself since my past has been forgiven and I have a purpose for living and a home waiting in heaven I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, trivial talking, thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead I will magnify God, grow to maturity, serve in ministry, and exercise my spiritual gifts by His grace and for His glory. Amen. Amen. Let's do it. Let's just walk in that. Let's walk in it today and in the days following. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this example in the life of Daniel and readily declare that... that his life just is pointing us to Jesus who lived a perfectly submissive life to the will of the Father who lived in reverence submission every day of his life and we pray O God that by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the power that comes to us through the cross we too might live that kind of life of distinction so that those around us and family at home and school at work will look and say you know that guy is different Not weird or strange, he's different. There's something about him, there's something about her that sets them apart from everybody else here in the workplace, in the school. And I'm praying, oh God, that you will find us, that you will find the men and women here at the gathering to be people of distinction so that we can in turn continue to influence those around us for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.